Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. Uh, And we are finishing up a series this week on the Bible. Uh, We've been talking about the Bible for weeks now. Uh, trying to understand some of the basic doctrines, some of the basic things we believe about the Bible. Um, And so today we're wrapping it up. Uh, We've looked at the doctrines of sufficiency of Scripture, the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. We've looked at what the Bible says about itself, where it comes from, what it means that the Bible is the Word of God. And today we focus in on the central point of the entire scripture, the the climax of all of scripture, which is its Christ-centeredness. That the Bible is the most Christ-centered thing on earth. And so that's where we're coming to today with our scripture. We're in John chapter 5, starting with verse 31. Uh, I will be reading the scripture today because Terry had to step out. So I'm sorry for that, because I know you love Terry's voice, but uh, you get mine instead. Um, John 5, 31 to 47. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony he gives about me is true. You sent messengers to John, and he testified to the truth. I don't receive human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You've not heard his voice at any time, and you haven't seen his form. You don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. But you're not willing to come to me so that you may have life. I do not accept glory from people, but I know you, that you have no love for God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and yet you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe? Since you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. If uh, I keep pulling back my sleeves and drinking a bunch of water this morning, it's because I wore an extremely hot sweater and forgot that that's not smart up here. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't want to distract you with my pit stains on my T-shirt, so we're stuck with the sweater. Um, that's where we are this morning. So John chapter 5. Now, this is a weird place to drop us, to drop us in to these words of Jesus. But what I just read are all words of Jesus. He's talking to a group of people. Um, have, have you ever wanted to see God's face or hear God's voice audibly? Like, have you ever had that desire? You know, plenty of people who are like, I would love to hear God's voice, right, audibly. I'd, I'd love for God to just speak to me, or better yet, just to see him. And, and I think, you know, I have that desire too. And then I go back and I read the Old Testament, and I'm like, oh, no, maybe I don't, actually. <laughs> because you see that whenever anybody actually sees God face to face, 
They're terrified. Um, the Bible says oftentimes they fall prostrate, not even when they see God. Like no one in the Old Testament actually ever sees God's face because God says to Moses himself, like no one can see my face and live. If you saw my face, it would be so much for you that you would drop dead. And so we see people seeing angels, messengers of God face to face, and people can't even handle that. Like they see one of God's lesser emissaries, one of God's lesser messengers come and stand before them. And inevitably, people just fall on their faces before these beings. And they're always tempted to worship them as though they're God. Joshua, the great leader of the nation of Israel after Moses, he met an angel of the Lord. And Joshua was tempted to worship him. The angel of the Lord had to say, no, 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 don't do that. I'm not God. I'm only speaking for him. But the glory that comes even from God's messengers who have been touched by him is so great that people can't even stand in their presence. Can you imagine what it must be like to stand unabashed, unveiled before the fullness of God's glory, before the fullness of God's faith? Reading the Old Testament should like cure us of any desire to actually see God face to face. But then there's hearing his voice. Over and over throughout the Old Testament, people hear God's voice. They hear God's voice through the prophets who have been called to speak God's truth. They hear God's voice through the angel of the Lord. This is, in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is kind of a special messenger. It's, it's a very special divine being whose sole role it is to speak on behalf of God and sometimes even to speak with the authority of God on his own. A lot of us look to the Old Testament, we read about the angel of the Lord, and we think this is maybe Jesus before he comes to earth. This could be very well be the second person of the Trinity coming to earth, that when God comes to earth, that is the second person of the Trinity, because the angel of the Lord speaks with the very authority of God. And so, throughout the Old Testament, we see God speaking to people. Inevitably, though, what do these people do? They ignore him. Over and over and over again, one of the hallmarks of God's people is that they ignore his voice. Just kind of like parenting, right? One of the hallmarks of my children is that they ignore what I tell them to do. And then we have to go through it again and again and again. The people of God are wayward often and disobedient because they don't listen to God's voice. Because it's so easy to get distracted by the things of the world. It's so easy to get distracted by life right here in front of me. That it's easy to forget God's voice. It's easy to forget his instructions. It's easy to think that the instructions of the Lord are less important when I've got really pressing matters right in front of me. Really pressing things. When the, the logical and expedient course of action in front of me means disobeying God's commands, this seems more urgent than God's commands. This seems more urgent than the word of God. And so it's easy to just go our own way and do our own thing and to do what seems right in our own eyes without reference to what God has said because so often what's right in front of us demands immediate action, or at least we think it does. And so it's easy to forget God. And over and over and over through the Old Testament, God's people do this. The prophets come to the kings. The kings of Israel, the kings of God's people, the prophets who are speaking on behalf of God, they come to the kings and they're like, yo, y'all are, you're, you're doing wrong, man. Like you're leading the people astray. 
Prophets come to the king and they're like, hey, you realize when you make a decision against God's authority, it doesn't just affect you, right? Like all of your people are affected too. But over and over, the people of God reject his authority or they don't listen to God's voice. They do the thing that seems right in the moment to themselves without reference to God. And that's a lot of what Jesus is addressing here. Now, here's what's going on in John chapter 5. Jesus has been in this town called Bethesda. And he heals this guy in Bethesda. Only the problem is that he heals the guy on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath, the day of rest, Saturday, begins Friday at sundown and goes until Saturday at sundown. And sometime on Saturday, Jesus is in Bethesda, and there's this dude who is crippled and needs healing, and Jesus heals him. And the religious authorities come to Jesus and are like, yo, dude, you just broke the law. Now, never mind that there's this guy walking around who couldn't walk a few minutes ago. Right? Never mind that like you just saw a legit miracle take place. You broke the law, Jesus. You healed on the Sabbath. I mean, if you could have just waited till sundown, that would have been okay. But you can't do that on the Sabbath. That's work. You worked, Jesus. And so you broke the law. And we can't have that. And the conversation that comes after that is what we read. It's kind of Jesus' trial before the religious leaders here in Bethesda, or in the area of Bethesda. Jesus has healed this guy on the Sabbath. The religious leaders come. They're like, dude, you broke the law. And Jesus is like, yo, yo, God has the authority to judge, not you. By the way, this guy's walking. And I healed him. And then he goes on to what we read. So Jesus has, has prefaced all this by talking about life and judgment. And Jesus has told these people, these religious leaders, hey, life comes through me. Life comes through God, not through the law. And I have the authority to judge. God has the authority to judge, and he's given it to me. So Jesus goes on about life and judgment and where life and judgment come from. And basically, he's undermining the authority of these religious leaders by arguing that you, you don't have the authority or power to judge me. Life comes through me because I'm the one that God has sent. But then he goes on because he knows that's not enough. And Jesus begins this section that we just read by saying, look, if I testify about myself, my testimony isn't valid. What he's just done is kind of testify about himself. He's been talking about himself and the authority that he's gotten. And basically he's saying to them, now I know you won't believe anything I just said because if I testify about myself, then my, my testimony is invalid. Think about a court scene, right? If you only have two parties in a court drama, you've got the one party that says one thing and the one party that says another, no other witnesses, no other evidence. It's just one word against another. You can't build a case. You can't try that case. No lawyer would ever be like, okay, yeah, let's take this up and let's go argue this. It would be really stupid because... One word against another word is no case at all. You have to have witnesses. You have to have evidence. And so that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying, I've testified about myself, but you won't believe that because it's not valid. He's setting up this courtroom scene. And so Jesus is about to pull in his witnesses. That's what he does in what we read. And so Jesus is like, okay, you won't believe me, but here, what about John? And Jesus is really funny here. He's like, I don't receive the testimony of men. Like, my testimony comes from God. My authority comes from God. I'm not concerned what y'all think. But ben, since y'all are concerned what y'all think, here's one guy who loved me. Let me tell you about John. 
You guys really respected John. A lot of the people in Judea thought John was a prophet of God, that he spoke with the authority of God. The religious leaders were really, really hesitant to take any action against John because they thought if they did, the people would revolt against them. This is John the baptizer. I don't usually call him John the Baptist. There were no denominations then, okay? John didn't go to a Baptist church. John baptized people, right? So we'll label him according to what he did, which is John the baptizer. John the baptizer came before Jesus, and he paved the way. There are all these prophecies throughout the book of Isaiah that talk about the herald who will come to pave the way for the king who is to come. And John says, that's me. And then Jesus goes, that's John. And that's what he did. John came to pave the way for Jesus, the king who would come. And he baptized people in the Jordan River. And his, his, his uh, words were so captivating. And he was, he was so powerful in his presentation that people came from all over. And John had a radical message. This is what you really got to understand. Like We're so used to baptism in the Christian church that like, we forget how crazy and radical John was. John was a wild man. Like, John is out there in the Jordan River, and he's calling people to come be baptized. And now, normally, that would have been cool if the people John was talking to were Gentiles, you know, those heathen, dirty Gentile people. But he wasn't. He was calling Jews to repent and be baptized, which is like, we don't need to be baptized. We're good. We were born into this nation. We are of God's people. We are God's children. We are We are cared for and taken care of by the temple and by the system that God has put in place. And John is out there in the Jordan River, just over the kind of the hill from the temple, and he's saying, no, 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 no. You need to come and be baptized. The system is corrupt. The system is not representing God. And you faithful Jews still need to come and be baptized in the Jordan River. And John is there paving the way for Jesus, calling people to repentance, pointing to the corruption in the existing system, and the people love him for it. A lot of these people have been oppressed by the existing religious system. A lot of these people are not considered pure and holy. A lot of these people who are coming to John, they don't have much of a place in the existing religious life of Israel. And so they're coming to John because he's giving them a way. He's giving them a place where they didn't have a place. And so Jesus comes along, and that's when John stops his ministry. John's like, that's the guy. You need to follow him. And so John continues to go around and and preach, but now he's pointing to Jesus. And when his followers want to leave him and follow Jesus, John's like, yes, that's cool. Do that. You should go be with him because he's the one I'm pointing to. And so Jesus now is bringing up John as the first witness to his identity, the first witness to who he truly is. Jesus is saying, you guys respected John, or at least respected the influence that he had. So if you won't believe me on my own word, maybe you'll believe me on the testimony of John, because he said I was the one to come. He pointed to me, and the people respected him. But Jesus knows this won't be enough. This isn't going to be enough for them. Because, you know, most of the religious leaders didn't like John either. He was the one calling them corrupt. John famously called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Oh, you look real pretty on the inside, on the outside, but inside you're just rotting. Right? You wouldn't love a guy who called you a whitewashed tomb. Right? So Jesus knows that, like, 
he's not going to get very far with this. So then he moves on. He says, okay, so John testified to me. There's one witness. Now, what about the works that I'm doing? Now, remember, he's kind of on trial for healing somebody on the Sabbath. They're worried about the law, and Jesus is worried about the work that he did. And Jesus is like, if you won't believe according to John, then, then what a, will you believe according to what I've been doing? The things that I've been doing? Haven't you seen? Don't you remember the guy who's walking in Bethesda who wasn't yesterday? Don't you remember that blind guy? <clears throat> well, he hasn't come yet. He comes in John 9. But Jesus is pointing ahead, right? Jesus is like, don't you remember the things that I've done? Haven't you heard the stories? Haven't you seen the people healed? If you won't believe according to John, then believe according to those works. And we know that the religious leaders at the time were kind of confused by the works that Jesus did. Because there was one point where Jesus came and he cast some demons out of somebody. And then the religious leaders came by and were like, he cast out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus is like, that's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. Like, Satan can't cast out Satan. If the demons are afraid of me, it's because I'm better than Satan. If the demons are afraid of me, it's because I'm more powerful and good. It's not because I'm working for the devil. And so we know the religious leaders were confused by the very works that Jesus was doing, and they were trying to find a way to twist this thing so that Jesus was doing these great things by the power of evil because they couldn't conceive of someone who taught the things Jesus did and lived the way that Jesus lived and yet had the power of God living within him. And so Jesus says, look at the works. I got receipts, man. Like, I got credibility here. And so Jesus says, look at the works. Let them speak for themselves. Stop trying to twist it. Just take them on their face value. I'm healing people. I'm casting out demons. I'm doing what God has empowered me to do. Which leads him to his third witness. Jesus acknowledges, like, I do the works according to the Father who has sent me. The works that God has given me to do. Empowered me to do. And so that moves him on to his third witness, the Father himself. God himself. Jesus says, God tells you who I am. If you would only listen to the Father... You would know who I am. But Jesus, there's a problem. You've never seen or heard God. Now think about that for a minute. How do you recognize somebody? There are really two ways. You recognize them by the sound of their voice, by the look of their face. This is why facial recognition software is a big deal. Because all of our faces are unique. You know someone by the sound of their voice, and by the look of their face. And somebody's going to be like, yeah, but I know some people just by looking at them. You've, you've done that thing where you like saw somebody from afar and you were like, oh, that's, and then you get close and you see their face and you're like, no, no, that's not them. Right? We know people by the look of their face and the sound of their voice. So when Jesus says you've never seen God or heard God, he's saying you don't know God. You leaders you religious leaders who are persecuting people, who are oppressing people with your system, you people who are putting, putting weights on people that God never put on them, you who are holding them to this legalistic standard that God never gave, you don't know God. And he goes on to say, you pour over the scriptures. I mean, you're all in the Bible. You're reading it and you're studying it. But if you knew it, 
and you knew the God who gave it to you, you would recognize me because I come from him. But if you don't recognize me, you don't know the scriptures. This is a word of warning to a lot of Christians. This is a word of warning to a lot of us in the church who get captivated by weird theologies and strange things and we go to our Bibles and we, we dig and we pour to find out signs of the end times or to see like the 10 best ways to live your greatest life or, or rules for living. We go to the scripture for everything but Jesus. This is a, this is a word for some of us who love the Bible and yet are hesitant to live according to the way of Jesus. We love the theologies and we love the arguments and we love the, the background and we love things about it and we love to be able to make use of it. And yet we're not on the search for Jesus in it. If Jesus is not at the center of our study and our longing for the scriptures, then we have misunderstood them. We have not come with a right heart. Jesus said, if your study of Scripture doesn't point you to me, you're doing it wrong. That's exactly what he just told to the religious leaders of Israel, to the Pharisees and scribes, the most religious, most holy people in the nation. Jesus said to them, you don't know God because as much as you study the Scripture, you haven't recognized me. And I am the one that God has sent. You see, when Jesus points and he says, God is my testimony, that the Father testifies to me, he's saying the scriptures testify to me. Jesus says specifically, because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. But you're not willing to come to me so that you may have life. The scriptures point us to Jesus. The Father points us to Jesus through the scriptures. Jesus goes one step further. He says, the Father testifies to me through his word. And because you don't recognize me, you don't know his word. And then he says, this is, such a, this is so bad. This is such a, a rough situation for you that I don't even have to accuse you. Jesus says, I don't even have to point the finger. I don't have to judge you. The scriptures themselves do that. Because Moses wrote about me. He talked about me. And you don't recognize me. But how will you believe? But if you don't believe what, the, what Moses wrote, how will you believe my words? We come to the scripture. To know Jesus. We come to the Bible to know Christ. Jesus has accused these religious leaders of not seeing God's face or knowing his voice. Because if they did, they would recognize that Jesus is the face of God. And his voice is the voice of God. All of us who have hungered to hear from God, all of us who have hungered to look upon God's face, all of us who have longed to have that one-to-one that -one personal encounter with God, it is always available to us. Always. Jesus is the face of God. Jesus is the word 
of God. And when we come to the scripture looking for Christ, looking for Jesus, we have a face-to-face encounter with the living God every single time. If you long for an encounter with God, but you're not seeking the scriptures, you're not reading the Bible, you're not investing in knowing God's word, you are shortchanging yourself. You are robbing yourself of all of the spiritual riches that are available to you right here in this book as Jesus is on full display. Jesus says to you and me now, if we long for an encounter with God, but we are ignoring the scriptures, then we are shooting ourselves in the foot. Most of us, when we say we want an encounter with God, what we really mean is we want an emotional high. We want some sort of feeling. Most of the time when we talk about wanting an encounter with God, we're wanting fuzzies and emotions and rapture. And none of those things are bad. But if that's what we're seeking, if that's how we define an encounter with God, and we're not coming to the scripture to have a real encounter with the living Jesus, we're shortchanging our spiritual lives. We're, we're giving up on pursuing Jesus because this is where he is to be found, in his word. And so I, I encourage you today, if you want an encounter with the living God, sing praise songs. Sing them all day long, right? Pray all the time. But don't do either of those things without opening your Bible where God is on display in the person of Jesus Christ, where we can see his face and hear his voice and know the word that he has for us. This is why we root ourselves in Scripture. This is why we begin this whole series on formation with the Bible, because if we're neglecting the Bible, we might as well give up on everything else. This is where God is to be found in the Jesus who is presented to us on the pages of Scripture. And the more that we invest in it, the more we pour into it, the more clearly we will see the character of our God, the more we will know Him, and the more we will be formed into His image. The more we will become like Jesus as we invest and engage with and ingest the Jesus who comes to us on the pages of our Bible. And so if you haven't been picking up your Bible, if you haven't been reading it, the, most, the strongest encouragement I can give to you as a pastor is to pick up this book and just start reading. You won't always understand everything. You won't see how some of these things point to Jesus. It's going to be confusing in places. But the more that you pick it up, the more that you read it, the more you invest in knowing the word of God, the more you'll fall in love with it and the more you'll fall in love with Jesus to whom it points. The more you'll fall in love with the God who breathed it out for us. And so today, there's not some like great grand application. There's simply the encouragement to pick up your Bible. Read your Bible. I encouraged you a few weeks ago, if you didn't have a reading plan, if you weren't already reading, just pick up the Gospel of Mark and read nothing but Mark for the rest of the year. Just get to know Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. 
It's short, it's fast, you'll feel out of breath when you're finished reading it, even if you're reading your head, because it's just quick. Pick up the Gospel of Mark and just read it over and over and over. Let the words and the person of Jesus sink in deeply. As we walk this road together, I pray that we grow in love for the Scripture that is breathed out by our Heavenly Father and points us to Jesus, the face and word of God made real for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you have taught us that the Scriptures testify to you. To know that to go to the Scripture and to look for the face of Jesus is not to warp it, but to use it to its true purpose. Thank you, God, that you have given us the full revelation of your character in Jesus Christ. And that you weren't content simply to come and put on a display and put on a show. But Lord, you came and you went to the cross for us. You were crucified for our sin. You rose again to secure us life. And now you reign from heaven forever as our good and gracious king. Thank you, God, for all the good news that is wrapped up in Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that today you would give us a deepening hunger for the word of God, for the scripture, and that you would give us eyes to see the face of God and hear your words in your scripture as we seek the person of Jesus. Holy Spirit, illuminate God's word for us so that we may understand. Open our eyes so that we may see. Open our ears so that we hear. Open our hearts so that the seed of God's word would plant deeply within us and grow to incredible fruit for the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.